What's up, Ego Hackers? Uh, welcome to Season 18, Cognitive Mechanics. And uh, today we are discussing uh, the input, process, output feedback of human cognition. And it's been necessary to do so. Uh, we have not really had the opportunity uh, for a while to discuss input, process, output feedback like we did at the beginning of Season 18. But it is time to address it more so from the macro perspective uh, instead of just the micro uh, perspective, uh, which ultimately has been like a thing that uh, a lot of people are having a hard time dealing with. And I, the purpose of this particular lecture is to at least give you guys a tour of the entire science from a bird's eye view and how each component of the science interacts with each other, but from a macro perspective and not necessarily just a micro perspective. Micro perspective being uh, the, you know, what your type is according to the type grid. And then even more micro than that is your individual octogram and then your temple wheels. And then going even deeper beyond that uh, is... Uh, you know, basically, uh, you know, your temple wheel spokes in terms of your uh, poles, as well as your daily sin, living virtue, how they interact with each other, how do they interact with other people, and uh, the like. So yeah, that too uh, can be a thing or ultimately an issue. For some reason, uh, my comments are not on. That is so awkward, apparently. Uh, okay, fair enough. I am live streaming to literally nobody right now, which is kind of weird. So uh, let's let's get that there, and then let's see if we can actually get people added to the stream real quick. Because apparently uh, the link has not been uh, provided uh, very well. So let's see. Um, so yeah. Uh, let's see here. Okay, at um, at everyone, and then uh, uh, yeah, there we go. Sorry about that. So I'm giving the link to everyone on Discord to get everyone in here, so that we can uh, get in on that. Uh, so yeah. Um, okay. What's up, Immortal? Welcome, uh, as you are like the only person uh, watching, apparently. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Okay. Uh, Alright, cool. Alright, cool. So, it's just Immortal and I. How you doing, Immortal? <laughs> yeah all right cool um let's just get down to it so basically the science as a whole uh is inclusive or at least includes the following pieces you know we have input process output feedback which is like this system that kind of just dominates uh throughout the entire universe it's like a universal law a universal system that we know uh but the whole point is, is that i'm trying to make here is that each aspect of the science 
as a whole actually ends up feeding into the rest of the science, you know, within the within the confines of this feedback loop, basically. So at input, we have something known as the Rosetta Stone, which is something that was discussed in the Ego Hacking by Text Masterclass, uh, which if you haven't seen that yet, what the hell are you doing with your life? You are severely missing out on something insanely cutting edge uh, and also uh, new in terms of everyone's interpretation of how cognitive functions actually work uh, to point. Uh, so yeah, that's that's like a, a big deal. Uh, you might wanna like get educated on that. So that's that represents the input basically of the science. The process is something that we have not really discussed very much and that is God functions. And uh, I, as promised uh, for the audience, I'm going to be releasing season 35 in the very near future. I think I believe I actually start filming it tomorrow is season 35, which is what are the God functions and where I'm explaining the God functions and how they work. So I'll be doing a little bit of a primer uh, in this lecture to discuss God functions, but God functions are ultimately the process and that also includes uh, your temples, basically. Temples and God functions, they're kind of the same thing to a point. It's just temples are a broader expression of what God functions actually are. And then uh, the process is ultimately our nature, which is the type grid, basically our own nature, right? And then the feedback is our octogram, also known as our nurture, right? So that's in general what input process output feedback in terms of all of the science in of its own right, you know, from Jungian analytical psychology, we need to keep track of these different pieces and how they affect each other. And even when you look at your human nurture in terms of your octogram, that actually has a way of adjusting or influencing the Rosetta Stone. The Rosetta Stone being your cognitive origins, but cognitive origins organized exactly by which cognitive origins you are consuming versus which cognitive origins you are producing, right? And the octogram has a way of influencing level of consumption and production, as well as which specific origins you are consuming versus producing. It has a way of like modulating the input basically and how feedback is feeding into the input to basically restart the entire system of input process output feedback basically. So that's where it comes to. And this lecture is kind of necessary because we're gonna be talking about in the near future something called the God grid. And we can't really talk about the God grid or at least uh, you know, show you God functions from a macro position within the human psyche until we've actually laid down a foundation. And since this is cognitive mechanics, we kind of had to lay it down in this direction uh, just so that we have you know, a foundation that we can walk on and use it as a guide to get us through this content because it's, I mean, for a lot of people, it's going to be way over their head. So that, that can be like an issue to a point. So yeah. All right. So uh, first things first is the input, also known as the Rosetta Stone, which is producing and consuming cognitive origins. Cognitive origins, just like the cognitive functions, have an introverted and extroverted component to them. For example, consuming and producing. The origins are justification, intimacy, satisfaction, reverence, authority, validation, discovery, and purpose, etc. We, we've, we've hammered this so many times, right? Now, uh, types with an extroverted hero function are looking to consume their origin, while introverted hero functions are looking to produce their origin. And that's ultimately like the main argument that we've put forward with the Rosetta Stone in terms of being able to set the order in terms of which cognitive origins are being produced and which ones are being consumed by specific types and their functions according to their function stack. Uh, 
For example, INFJs feel the most connected when they create interactions that lead to intimacy, versus ESTPs feel the most connected when they take part and join interactions that lead to intimacy. And they are not the creator of that interaction, they are the consumer of that interaction. They are the consumer of connectedness. They are the consumer of, uh, of intimacy, basically, from that uh, perspective. Um, so uh, no, that is not what the God Grid is, uh, and I will not be discussing it very much for this episode. We're leading up to the God Grid. Um, but anyway, so a specific type possesses more than just a single origin. Each of us has all the cognitive origins within us, and those cognitive origins are actually separated entirely by the four sides of the mind. The four sides of the mind contains, and each side of the mind contains four origins that are consumed and produced. So technically speaking, if you had full access, if you were to imagine your entire mind, uh, every function in your mind was literally a hero function, basically, you would be producing and consuming origins simultaneously. Of course, you know, that's probably like what God the Creator does, but, uh, you know, we're, we're not that cool, basically. So, again, you have all origins in you. And they're expressed through the cognitive functions and also uh, cognitive attitudes. Cognitive attitudes, in a way, actually, uh, basically is an example of consumption and production in a lot of ways. And that, that's absolutely true. And that's something we've somewhat explored a little bit within the uh, upcoming course, Ego Hacking Your Fear, which I highly recommend you guys consider getting into. It's halfway done with filming right now. We already got five hours of footage into it. And we probably have another five hours to go. So that'll be, um, or at least six hours, I think, maybe seven hours. So that'll be very interesting. And then for one person within their type to take the ego hacking by here for your course, well, guess what? Uh, it's probably going to take an individual just, just for their own type to get through. It's going to take them about five hours to get through the entire course, I'd say, like just, just for themselves. It's going to be significantly a lot longer if they're looking at all of the 16 types uh, within the context of the course because it just has that much information in it. So, which is going to uh, be uh, pretty awesome. So, great. Um, so, the origins exist at a fundamental layer below the functions, altering how the functions are used and what they are used for. For example, the TI child of an INSFJ will be utilized differently than an INFJ's due to different origins being attached to their child function. And again, you have to really utilize the Rosetta Stone to actually you know, decipher what exactly that means. And in order for you to have the best understanding of this particular lecture, you really should have the masterclass. That's offers.csjoseph.life forward slash ebt dash masterclass. Of course, you can't get the masterclass unless you also own the course as well for Ego Hacking by Text, which is at egohackingbytext.com. So check that out and please uh, get educated. Um, we're not really going to be going into that much depth with, with the Rosetta Stone, which is basically an entirely it's like it's just as important as the type grid. It's kind of laid out similarly to the type grid, but not quite. But from the perspective of origins, versus functions, etc., in terms of origin axis pairs and then origin orbit, etc., origin reflection to that point. So then there's also there's also something that has to do with quadra. Like for example, quadra influence is very important in the Rosetta Stone. Every type within a quadra shares the same two top two origins. So crusaders end up sharing satisfaction and discovery as cognitive origins. 
Templars, all Templars share intimacy and validation. Philosophers all share justification and authority. And wayfarers all share reverence and purpose. And this is important because there are different, you can you could separate origins by perception and judging. And which, by the way, there was a, an error in the masterclass, which I am going to be filming a video uh, to fix uh, that issue uh, in the near future. But I basically stated that authority versus purpose. I stated that purpose was a perception and authority um, was a decision, and that's actually not true. Uh, they're actually reversed. Authority is a perception and purpose is actually a decision. And there was a little bit of confusion uh, that came as a result of that. I will be issuing, I'll be doing a correction video and applying it to the EBT masterclass area of the Ego Hacking by Text course membership area. So just look for that video in the near uh, future and then we'll be explaining it. I might also do a small preview in that same video of the God Grid as well, um, where you'll be able to have a little bit you know, information in there. So, and speaking of preview of the God Grid, let's move on to that right now uh, as we're kind of going, going there. So, so yeah. Uh, what is the process? So we, we just discussed the input and that's basically the Rosetta Stone. It's your cognitive origins separated between consuming and producing forces, basically different polarities of cognitive origins because everyone has all the cognitive origins because cognitive origins represents the input for the human psyche specifically because there is no point behind the human psyche. There is no there is no rhyme or reason. There, there is nothing. There is no point behind life without cognitive origins. Cognitive origins is the purpose of life. It is the foundation from which the human race ultimately exists to satisfy cognitive origins, to produce and consume cognitive origins. You could literally say that is the purpose of life, that is the purpose of growth, that is the purpose of everything, which is ultimately the input. But how do we actually process that input? How do we process cognitive origins and make them useful? Well, that's where we get the temples. The temples basically process the origins and separate those origins into different groups, right? So for example, the temples are formed by a combination of cognitive origins plus macro functions attached to that temple, basically. And those are the god functions, right? Uh, so, for example, you know, soul temples, extroverted intuition and introverted feeling, heart temples, introverted intuition and extroverted feeling, mind temple is introverted thinking and extroverted sensing, and body temples, extroverted thinking and introverted sensing. Those are the God functions of the temples, right? So, so why are God, why, why, why do God functions like actually matter? And I'm going to be doing a video specifically on why they matter um, in, um, in the very near future. But the reason why God functions matter is that regardless of your type, um, I, I, here's, here's an analogy. I don't know if anyone here has played Magic the Gathering, specifically the Commander format. But when you're playing this game of cards, you have something called the command zone. And the command zone is where there's a particular card, it's a legendary creature for the game, and that you can summon that creature at any time in the game. And if it's out, and if you've summoned it, and it's out in the field, on the battlefield, then great. And then if it dies, well, it goes back to the command zone and you could recast it again, basically, because you're like this ancient summoner that summons things uh, and conjures things up and whatnot to, to fight with. 
and uh, this creature, this legendary creature, exists to assist you as an ally, basically, on the battlefield. It's called the Command Zone. Well, the Soul Temple God function, or the, the Temple God functions, basically, are cognitive functions that you always have access to. You always have access to their energy at all times, basically. That is what the God functions are. You always have access to their energy, regardless of what type you are, based on what temple you belong to. So if you're a soul temple person, Templar or philosopher, it doesn't matter. You always have access to extroverted intuition and introverted feeling. Always. You always have access to those specific functions and those specific energies from those functions to be utilized at any given time. This is like, you know, even though, like, for example, soul temple Templars are not philosopher types with S-I-N-E, guess what? Soul Temple Templars hella desire to be wanted. They always want to be wanted. And one of the biggest ways that you can hurt a Soul Temple Templar is by making sure that they are not chosen, that they are left out, and that they are not wanted. They really hate it, and it hurts them because it's hurting their God function, basically. That's sitting in this command zone or this temple zone or this God zone, basically. Because expert intuition by by its own nature, by its own accord, wants to be wanted, right? So even though Soul Temple Templars like ESTPs and INFJs are not using expert intuition in their ego, guess what? It's, it's they, they always want to feel wanted. They always want to be included and they never want to be discluded, right? That's That's literally what it is. And this is also another reason why these types also care about character. Character comes from introverted feeling, basically. And introverted feeling is a, is a really, really big deal. Like, they're always trying to find the value behind something or the principle behind something. And even, like, for example, Soul Temple Templars, you know, they're FE users. They always have access to that introverted feeling. And they have a special relationship with introverted feeling as a function in its own right, even though it's not in their top four, uh, you know, stack. You know, that's, that's just how it is, right? So, like, for example, the Soul Temple wants to be desired and wishes to find and express what the good actually is, right? So that's, that's like, what that, that God function actually exists for. And... Um, then let's 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 look at the the heart temple. The heart temple's introverted intuition, and then also extroverted feeling. Okay, uh, so it's, this is why the heart temple is entirely about desire. It's all about passion, right? It's all about desire. It's all about passion, but it's also about acceptance. So even an ESFP and an INTJ, for example, these types, even though like they have FE trickster or FE critic. They care as FI users. They are the FI users that care the most about being accepted. And, you know, it's so funny because you look at uh, INTJs because, you know, from a virtue and vice perspective, their virtue is being trusting. But where is that trust virtue actually coming from? It's coming from their God function of extroverted feeling because that God function is like, oh, hey, you know, I, I, I trust you, which means I accept you. And because I accept you, I want to and I become attached. And because it's extroverted feeling trickster, their anti-hero is lacking judgment when it comes to attachment. This is why INTJs, out of all the 16 types, avoid attachment the most because they don't want to attach to the wrong thing because they know as soon as they attach, they cannot let go. Because as soon as they attach, they will move heaven, hell, and earth for the sake of that attachment. That attachment means absolutely everything to them. 
you know, and, and, and I get it. I get it. It's funny, though. I was actually talking to an INTJ a woman earlier today, and I basically said, look, I really don't give a damn. I don't give a flying fuck about your attachment issues because I have introverted sensing inferior. And while you're risking attachment, guess what? I have to risk Stockholm syndrome. So I don't want to hear it. Like, I really don't care. I don't care. You know, so especially with me being UDUF or a UD uh, ENTP having extra access to my INTJ shadow when itself has attachment issues, basically, and through extroverted feeling child, it attaches way too easily. It really actually does. This is why I have to go out of my way to avoid attachment. It's funny, like, you know, like I revealed in the uh, cutting edge lecture earlier this month where I'm talking about, you know, uh, you know, the keys to Chase's heart and ultimately like how I really desire fanaticism, you know, in women in my life. And I, and I love me some fangirls. And I've always been weak uh, to fangirls. So that's why whenever I identify a fangirl, I actually talk to other people, you know, in my inner circle and inform them, hey, here's a fangirl. So that way uh, I can rely on, you know, those other people who are close to me, their opinions of said fangirl instead of, but so I protect myself from attaching and even eventually potentially developing Stockholm syndrome for this particular woman who, even though she's a fangirl, guess what? That doesn't mean she could, like, she's not abusive for example, she could be abusive, you know, and one could make make the argument that, you know, like I've had, you know, interactions with women who have been entirely abusive for the majority of my life, which I would say is, is quite accurate, right? For the majority of my life, you know, and I've been being a victim of female abuse, right? I mean, it's technically true. I mean, you could just go all the way back from when I'm like five years old to 14 years old, and my female cousins are literally abusing me, especially my ISFP UDUF cousin, who was the absolute worst, who, you know, uh, using um, Bayonet's words, uh, you know, uh, uh, drew joy from, uh, quote, uh, being a destroyer of innocence, right? And uh, that's, that's ultimately what UDUF ISFPs actually are. They literally go out of their way to destroy other people's innocence. And it's so interesting to me how UDF types are so like outcasts of society and not even like able to really connect with people with society. And because of that disconnection, they are not really able to have children uh, because of that lack of connection these UDUF people have in society because um, it's possible that those children could end up becoming victims of the generational sin of abuse as a result of a UDUF type, basically, as a parent, right? And sometimes that UDUF type person needs to have the opportunity to heal and become UDSF as a result. That way the children, and then as a result of that, they're able to actually connect with people in a better way, right? And because of that connection, that leads to them finding people that accept them enough to actually have children with them and then they can be parents. It's just so interesting to me that UDUF types really, really naturally, naturally are just shunned by people out there. And I find that fascinating when you look at the golden pair, right? And how like the golden pair has competition for uh, cognitive origins, unless they are the same octogram as you. So UDUF types 
have the hardest difficulty connecting with others, that they have to connect with someone at the same octogram just to even be able to facilitate a, a golden pair to begin with. And then because of that, both of those people can actually utilize their relationship to, uh, instead of abuse each other, actually heal each other and maybe even actually produce two types that are UDSF basically, and then actually not be a potential threat to their children. I'm not claiming that just because you're UDF, you are a threat to children. I'm not saying that, but it can be a thing. It can be a thing. In fact, it can, it's, um, I don't want to say it's a likelihood. I am just going to say that it is a danger when it comes to UDUF people. Okay. So this is why UDUF people really need to be around their natural pair uh, with a, of a different octogram, or they need to be uh, with their golden pair of the same octogram in order to facilitate a mental environment within the context of a sexual relationship for healing. It's super important. Okay. I've come to realize that when it comes to the UDUF octogram as of late, that this octogram is just a temporary octogram. I don't actually, like, it's like a fake octogram, even though it's a real octogram, but I think it's just, it, it's it's a temporary state that one's brain puts one's persona in, basically, from their human nurture for the purpose of facilitating survival. And then once the stimuli that is causing that fight-or-flight response mentally in terms of their survival that stimulus will eventually take them out of UDUF and put them into UDSF afterwards. I just, I, I just, I've come to the conclusion that UDUF is just basically UDSF people who are in survival mode, basically. And then as soon as the thing that's causing their cognitive focus to be really focusing on their unconscious and ultimately their superego, eventually will bring them back into their subconscious. I think this is like very, you know, very likely, you know, that this is the case, um, especially as a result of recent experiences, you know. So anyway, that being said, okay, yeah, I'll get to your questions, guys, but hold up, like the, the process part of this lecture is pretty freaking huge. So just hold up, okay. So uh, Heart Temple, uh, they're all about desire. And it's like they need to have proof of desire, right? Proof of proof of what they want. You know, like this is the thing, like Heart Temple really cares about their own personal freedom. Like every ENTP wants to have, even though they don't have NI in the top four slots, they care about personal freedom. And I lose my mind on Railgun constantly when it comes to her extrovert intuition demon, which is basically taking away my freedom of choice. It is a huge problem. I loathe it. It's a big problem, okay? And I have to constantly work with her to get through that situation, right? But at the same time, you know, I see INTJs and ESFPs constantly fighting to be accepted by others because they just don't feel accepted. ESFPs don't feel accepted because everyone treats them like they're dumb airheads. INTJs uh, aren't accepted because people uh, are either cringed out by them or they or they try or they uh, they make themselves look so good and so arrogant that people just can't be around that fi child god complex so they're constantly looking for acceptance therefore the heart temple is driven by desire and freedom and ultimately is looking for acceptance you know and and uh, and the thing is is that they can't reach acceptance unless they have the freedom to explore the skills that they need to make themselves acceptable heart temple people are just unacceptable by society, by default, they have to spend their whole life trying to work on their God function, basically, to reach a level of, of, of acceptance. But how can they do that if they lack freedom in their life? You see what I'm saying? That ends up becoming a problem. 
from the mind temple perspective, you have introverted uh, thinking, uh, which uh, uh, and then also uh, extroverted sensing. The mind temple is ultimately driven by a pursuit of accuracy and truth. By knowing the truth, they impact the world around them and become effective teachers. If they know the truth, uh, you know they're able to help other people. If they're a top performer, they're able to have authority and power from that perspective. But ultimately, like they really only just care about what is accurate and what is not. And it's so interesting because the mind temple is so machine-like. Like the mind temple, like actually lacks character. They the mind temple out of all the four temples has the least character. And the soul temple, you know, especially the soul temple templars are like, dang, you know, I really have bad character to begin with. I'm trying to build character, but because they're trying to build character, they could take mind temple along the way, and it's like, well, at least I'm not as bad as that person, and then they can kind of live with themselves. So why soul temple really struggles having a relationship with heart temple people because heart temple have all the character in the world, basically. And Soul Temple really doesn't like that about Heart Temple, and that's why they're shadows to each other. That's why they're in orbit to one another, because the Heart Temple already has the character that Soul Temple seeks. But Soul Temple doesn't want to be the one to have to learn from the Heart Temple in as much as the Soul Temple wants to be an example to the Mind Temple already. So it ends up creating this push-me-pull-you situation between the temples, which leads to like overall like a ton of drama and whatnot, which can kind of suck uh, for a lot of people. And then the Body Temple, which is extroverted thinking, which is purpose, you know, and then also introverted sensing, you know, leading to discovery. Uh, the body temple is uh, driven to achieve the next thing that fills out its legacy. They view it as their duty to leave behind uh, contributions, etc. It's basically achievements. It's my achievements. It's your achievements. It's like, what can we go discover? What can we go taste? What is there in the world, basically? What are we doing uh, from that point of view? Um, and, uh, but they still have their God functions, you know, like, like even um, even uh, INTPs and ESFJs, they are all about extroverted thinking. They are all about achievement and achieving things and as much as they are all about discovery versus like ENTJs and ISFPs. They constantly want to taste new things. They want to discover new things. They don't want to be left out of the discovery. They don't want to be left out of the exploration, even though they lack introverted sensing themselves, right? And that's because it wants to be a shared experience of their extroverted sensing function for the sake of an introverted sensing related discovery. Back to the mind temple, okay? ESTJs and INFPs, they may lack TI, they may lack introverted thinking, they may not really understand to know what the truth is, but everything they do in their life is centered around figuring Figuring out what the truth actually is, you know, in the same way that they lack extroverted sensing. But guess what? ESTJs and INFPs are constantly working hard to become top performers to the point where they end up becoming top performers. I mean, look at look at ESTJs like um, Tom Brady, the greatest uh, football performer in history for his position. Right? He is an ESTJ. Okay. So basically, these are how all the God functions are separated uh, per temple and how they are impacting each of the 16 types directly just from the sake of an overview. And the Rosetta Stone from Cognitive Origins are actually being processed into these four different temples and then separated out amongst the God functions, okay? And then as a result of one's God functions, then that creates a basic template from which their nature is derived, which guess what? That is the type grid.
and ultimately the four sides of the mind. This is your nature, right? And that's basically the hardware of human nature rooted in the four sides and expressed through the type grid. That's basically the output. So the first result, the first tangible piece of a human being where the output crosses from the abstract and the concrete is ultimately your nature, right? That is your nature, okay? Your type, one of the 16, congratulations, right? And that also includes cognitive attitudes, it includes your functions, your four sides basically, your cognitive circuits between gateway functions and guide, guidance functions, all of those aspects, cognitive orbit, cognitive access, cognitive reflection, even though those things are actually technically attached to God functions and the temples themselves, those interactions also exist within your psyche. And your specific psyche represents the output, a human being, the output. This is what we call the tabula rasa, also known as the clean slate, all right? Now, I don't, I'm not a fan of the clean slate from uh, uh, John Locke's perspective, but uh, from this perspective, the tabula rasa basically is the output, a human being. This is like a baby, basically. Nature only, no nurture, as it were, right? So that ends up becoming an issue. And then the feedback, which is basically a person's octogram, okay? So the octogram is a result of personal experience, which is circumstances plus experiences, etc., influencing the nature or hardware of one's psychological makeup, even physiological makeup, actually, as well. If you look, if you consider epigenetics according to Dr. Catherine Shanahan's book, Deep Nutrition. The four octogram variants are the coloring of where and how someone's nurture has changed and impacted the expression of their nature. Again, that expression is also exemplified by epigenetics. This process is reviewed through, revealed through the temple wheels and sourced from a preference for a given side of the mind through cognitive development, where you've been psychologically and cognitive focus, where you are and where you're going psychologically within your life. Remember, cognitive development is derived from your childhood and a little bit of your adolescence, and cognitive focus is post-adolescence uh, or mid-adolescence to post-adolescence, and then it adjusts based on the circumstances throughout your life. The only time cognitive development can change is actually through brain trauma. There is no other time like a major trauma that happens to you in your life, physical brain trauma, or even the kind of psychological trauma where you realize that people that you have loved the most have entirely betrayed you and been lying to your entire life and you've been living a lie and that kind of paradigm shift can also adjust your cognitive development as well. Although it's extremely rare uh, that that would even still happen, but it can happen. Octogram is the neutral map that overlays nature and provides a specific path that maps your history and the motivations that propel you to your future. All this, once again, is revealed through the temple wheels. Octogram is the body of water. Uh, the entire path of human cognition flows to, basically. And that, too, ends up becoming a huge issue. Why? Because like what we discussed earlier, you know, when you look at the temple wheels, right? So... And I'll just give you guys a small taste of what I'm talking about. We're just going to use myself as an example here. I'm an ENTP, but I'm a malevolent, envious ENTP. I am unconscious developed, unconscious focused, okay? And we talked a little bit about this earlier this month in the Cutting Edge episode, okay? But like I produce malevolence. I like to receive fanaticism, okay, right? I, um, and um, I like to... Um, 
In terms of production and consumption of Envy, I'm not entirely sure. I'm seeing both arguments for that. Um, but I really like it when people are compassionate towards me. So I'm like a consumer of compassion. So I might be a producer of Envy. I think I am, basically. But then when you actually look at my other temple wheel, like from an INTJ perspective, or at least the, uh, the, the Wayfair dyad of the other side of the temple, basically, uh, so I produce desecration. And if anyone desecrates me, I get insanely offended. I will cut them out of my life. I will ban them from the discord. I will not suffer desecration towards me in any way, shape or form. I am the producer of desecration. I will not consume desecration. I refuse to consume desecration because I am a source of desecration. I'm the one who slays the sacred cows, not other people. Like with my INTJ shadow, for example. And, uh, you know, so um, no, I don't. No, I don't produce compassion. No, no, I don't. It, it's it's a secondary trait. It is not. It is not a primary trait. Immortal. It's a secondary trait. As often as it seems that I am compassionate, I am far worse uh, from there. But again, remember, I used to be UDSF. Okay, in a UDSF perspective, you know, I would be more likely to produce a compassion at, as a result. Um, so just, ex just take what I'm saying. You can take it with a grain of salt, but just try to accept what it is I'm saying. Like I consume compassion. I am the way that I am due to a lack of compassion in my life. Okay. And I've had to give compassion towards myself, you know, and instead of like, and learn how to be compassionate towards myself because I do not trust other human beings to be compassionate towards me. I just don't. I really don't at all. And I'm consistently, you know, have been compassionate towards others, but I don't get to have any compassion myself. So that's why I end up preferring to consume compassion because I'm starving for compassion uh, consistently. Okay. So, so that's, that's, that's a big deal. So back to the INTJ side. Now, um, you know, I, I, I absolutely cannot do desecration. Like I cannot receive desecration from someone, but I can receive ego from someone. So if someone is like, you know, like puffing up my ego, you know, okay, yeah, I, I guess I can, I can receive that from someone, but I, I do not allow anyone to desecrate my ego. Absolutely not. It, it's, it's unacceptable to me. And then from the uh, living a virtue, deadly sin aspect of, of you know, the, uh, the INTJ ESFB dyad, basically from that uh, temple wheel, you know, of reverence on that side, um, you know, within my soul, I have this uh, issue where I am modest. I am producing modesty, uh, basically, uh, and I consume vainglory. I consume vainglory. I like, I like, I kind of like being around vain people because it helps me generate envy because i end up being envious of vainglorious people i've noticed and it provides me a lot of motivation to improve for the for the purpose of self-improvement basically so if i perceive or judge something as vainglorious i often become very um envious of something that is vainglorious right and even though i myself am modest to the point where it triggers so many other people i am looking for i'm consuming vainglory i am eating vainglory i produce modesty but i eat vainglory right 
Okay, so when you look at this, when you look at these different, you know, temple wheels, this ends up adjusting my cognitive origins, you know, and then I end up while I consume a lot of satisfaction, I end up producing a lot of reverence, right? And this actually creates an adjustment in my personal Rosetta Stone as a result of my personal octogram where it is currently at within my life. And that flips back to the input piece of the input process output feedback. And then that makes adjustments specifically to my Rosetta Stone, which then influences the priority of from which the God functions that I serve first, basically in what order and which God function I serve first, basically, which then directly impacts my nature in terms of how, um, you know, and how I behave as a subvariant of my type, which is ENTP. And then that too could lead to an, a new adjustment in octogram. And then maybe I would change from UDUF to UDSF, basically. And it's this constant, endless loop throughout a person's life where these adjustments go on. So that's literally how all of human cognition basically fits together within that context. Input, process, output, feedback. We're just using myself as an example, okay? So um, there's a couple of questions here. So Immortal asks, would the, would, would the access be weaker if your type is farther away from the God function types? Like ESTP has NE and FI since Soul Temple, but it's our egos. Uh, I would say it's more it's more consumptive than productive, I would say. Um, and uh, I don't think it has anything to do with access. I just think it has everything to do with your attitude. And this is actually pronounced within, you know, the uh, uh, output piece of the IPOF model when it comes to um, your uh, your cognitive functions, what you're producing and consuming, at least also, also from an input perspective with your Rosetta Stone. So again... I think it has everything to do with what you're looking for and like what you lack basically versus being source versus, you know, consumer. So that's, that's a bit meta, but uh, we're still working on getting closer and closer to having a specific answer to that question. Okay. Um, and then uh, immortal says is SDSF a temporary octogram as well then? Uh, I don't know yet. I don't know yet. I don't think it is because I think SDSF is very sustainable as an octogram because it is so close to the ego, and it just that it just continues to puff the ego up, and the ego loves it some ego time. It loves it some safety the ego time. That being said, I could state that the U, that the SDSF types probably have the hardest time getting to cognitive integration and ultimately enlightenment, uh, even though they're the people who are technically the most famous and the most popular people out there, technically, whereas the UDUF people are the outcasts of society, but the outcasts are the closest to cognitive integration and enlightenment. And that just goes further to show that uh, you know it is written, the first will be last and last will be first, and that would make a lot of sense, I guess, from that perspective. Okay, so hopefully that answers your question there, Immortal. Uh, and then uh, let's move forward here. Uh, uh, Trunks Obsessed asks, what can be attractive about Vainglory? How does Vainglory look to someone who consumes Vainglory because it's normally talked about in a negative sense? Uh, because Vainglory could be, you know, a, a high-performing, high-achieving individual, and I want to be a high-performing, high-achieving individual as well, basically. 
you know, like this is like the Andrew Tate perspective of what color is your Bugatti, basically. And he's literally just stating that from his cognitive origin of satisfaction, which is also the same as the love language of contribution, also known as acts of service, also known as high effort, also known what Ryan Reynolds' portrayal of Deadpool, the ENTP, would state as maximum effort. Uh, therefore, uh, Mr. Tate is entitled to saying what color is your Bugatti because he's the one who put in a high level of effort to actually earn it. Basically, he's talking about effort, right? And effort that leads to high levels of achievement, which is proven as a result of vainglory. So that's what can be attractive about vainglory. Okay, so... All right, so Immortal asks, SCSF people, when enabled, would struggle the hardest with being disabled and through struggle theoretically then, so wouldn't they need to go hard UF mode at some point in their life? That depends on their environment. That depends if they continue to be enabled by people or if they always make sure that their life is structured in such a way where they can continue to be enabled and if they have the power to actually make that happen. I mean, that's, that's the reality of the situation. That's how that works, basically, so... Anyway, folks, uh, this concludes uh, this season 18 episode, uh, the input out, uh, process output feedback of human cognition uh, for uh, February uh, 2023. So anyway, folks, uh, thanks for watching and listening, and I'll see you guys on the next episode next month for season 18, Cognitive Mechanics. Have a good night. Bye-bye.